Orgasmic Enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. Conscious birth, wild and free. A couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post on the most dangerous place to give birth. The answer was an American hospital. No joke. America has the highest infant mortality rate and the highest maternal death rate in the developed world. One of two kids have some kind of chronic disorder or disease like asthma, allergies, autism, or some kind of autoimmune condition. The allopathic medical system and OBGYNs in particular are selling you on the idea that you need their help in order to give birth. Their pitch is that the more control and the more we can interfere with the process, the better it is. Except that we know that's not true. Every bit of evidence we have shows us the opposite. In fact, the entire OBGYN profession was built on the idea that in order for them to even exist, they would have to systematically convince women that birth was too hard for them to do alone and that a doctor, surgically or otherwise interfering with the process, would be to their advantage. This is a quote from the American Dr. Hodge from 1938. If these facts can be substantiated, if this information can be promulgated, if females can be induced to believe that their sufferings will be diminished or shortened, and their lives and those of their offspring, this is key, will be safer in the hands of the profession, there will be no further difficulty in establishing the universal practice of obstetrics. All the prejudices of the most ignorant and nervous female, all the innate and acquired feelings of delicacy, so characteristics of the sex, will afford no obstacle to the employment of male practitioners. This is the foundational principle of OBGYN medicine. Take the power out of the woman's hands and her vagina and create doubt in her own ability and her body's eons of genetic coding and wisdom that have set her up to instinctually know what to do in pregnancy and birth and then base a whole business model on this. It's been this way for over a century. In the early 1900s, most births, 99% took place at home. By the 1950s, it was 50%. And now only 1% and probably less of births take place in a woman's home. 
in the modern industrial birth setting, a woman is rarely, if ever, allowed to follow her own bodily rhythms and cues. Instead, she is subject to an arbitrary schedule with certain timelines. She's placed in a foreign environment where her body is much more likely to interpret her surroundings as unsafe and in a evolutionary act of self-preservation, interrupt the birth process. We have a 33% C-section rate in women with hospital births. Hysterectomies and C-sections are in the 10 most common surgeries in the US. What the fuck is going on? Why are OBGYNs so obsessed with hacking up women's bodies? So I document the corruptness and uselessness of OBGYNs in my podcast episode called Real Cures versus Obsolete OBGYNs. I also go into more of why not to give birth in the hospital birth factory and on the empowerment of free and natural birth in the episodes What is Free Birth? as well as natural birth equals ecstatic birth. I explain how everything about a hospital birth goes contrary to our true natures and increases the chances exponentially of having complications. In today's episode, I am overjoyed to be going to the opposite end of the spectrum. We are talking about wild natural birth, the wildest, so wild, in fact, that we will be hearing about women giving birth in the Black Sea in Russia with dolphins for birth attendants. This sounds far more ideal and like a dream birth to me than any kind of clinical hospital experience. My guest is Elena Tonetti Vladimirova, who is the founder and director of the constantly expanding international organization Birth Into Being, which is dedicated to conscious evolution and the creation of a thriving future social structure based on love, compassion, and common sense. As a speaker, filmmaker, and author, Elena artfully uses multimedia to share her message with the world. Since 1982, Elena's tireless commitment has earned her the status of spiritual midwife to thousands, I would say probably millions of people. Through her lifetime of experiences, she has seen that birth complications are preventable. She has an incredible documentary film called Birth As We Know It, and she teaches the birth into being method. In my opinion, Elena's work is some of the most important contributions to humanity in helping to restore a woman's true power and reclaim the rebirthing and self-actualizing experience of sovereign childbirth in loving environments, we are reprogramming our species for pleasure and peace. Hello, Elena. It's fantastic to have you here today. Hello. I am very grateful for this opportunity. Well, I am so excited to be able to share your work and your vision and your incredible contributions to the return to power birth movement. So, you know, what I've looked, the way that I see things is that we've come into this age, I'm sure you probably see them this way too, of really heavy industrialized, even techno birth. And in my view, your work and some of your past experiences are really polar opposite to that in terms of having 
literally having births in nature. And when I was pregnant, this was exactly what I thought. I was like, I want to give birth in the forest near a waterfall. Like that was just the most, I was like, there's no way I would ever consider giving birth in a hospital. So, you know, I think that so much of your work is really all about harmonizing into the natural flow. And to me, that alignment with nature is a really big part of that, which we'll get to throughout this interview. But first of all, let's just start out with what is your definition of conscious birth? Um, that's a very good question. Um, conscious birth is when both parents are fully present emotionally for each other and for the incoming soul. When, when they both are on the same page about this um, enormous event of becoming a portal for a whole new human being that did not exist before to come through. And when they both are aware of the impact of their um, lifestyle, of their relationship, how they connect with each other, um, of their environment, on the quality of life of this future human being. So uh, it's really high mastery to have a conscious birth. It, mm. It's like if we're talking about the maximum, like birthing Olympic team, <laughs> there is a lot of um, moving parts to that picture um, because they need to find the right timing, the right place, you know, time space is uh, important to um, to really connect with the soul of that incoming baby because on some level the, the connection is already happening it's already within pre-incarnational agreements that some 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 being will come through them mm -hmm. am I saying too much no I mean no, I think that's fine. I, I think that for some people, well, we're, you know, you're almost going back to the idea of conscious conception too, right? That, you know, a couple can Well, conceive. you can take it out of the equation when you're talking about conscious birth. Where does it start? It starts, you know, with, with conscious conception because what we know now from the new science, from... Um, the new biology research is that the new life actually begins a few months prior to conception, not even at conception, because the quality of the sperm and the egg is defined by the choices they make um, a few months prior to conceiving the child. Mm. Well, actually, the whole lifetime prior. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's like, where do we begin? But we have to start somewhere. So let's start a few months before conception. And that's a part of the equation because first of all, a woman really needs to um, be picky and choose the father of the baby consciously, intelligently, with all the moving parts being in sync, in alignment. So um, it's a very big topic actually. I can give the whole interview just on that part because there is um, so much um, 
we're paying very high price as a society, as a civilization, for taking conception and birth for granted. Because there is so many people are being born. It's like, oh, whoops, another one. But that doesn't take away the pure mystery of conception and birth because we actually don't know anything about it. We know what it looks like at every stage of conception and gestation and birth. But what it is actually driving the cell to recognize that particular sperm because there is a moment when she has a choice and she chooses one of them to let this that is one in. All, yeah, it, yeah it's a, an amazing mystery because by the time he got there it's like imagine a, a big guy running through the whole length of grand canyon to find this tiny tiny cave at the end of it because the cervix opening is only the size of two sperm heads so there's no gps in total darkness they're running right they're yeah. trying yeah. to find her yeah. and she's there only two days out of the month so but by the time he got there they don't really have much energy to to storm her as they tell us that they just make their way through like penetrate and break the membrane that membrane is the most impenetrable wall in the three-dimensional universe it's designed to protect the egg for years and years and years from the moment it was formed when this woman was a fetus inside her mother's body inside her grandmother's body that's when the eggs are formed so that membrane is designed to keep her unharmed that nothing will get to her so how is he supposed to get in right now right and that is uh, an absolutely mystical uh, experience that is our home frequency because at that moment she has to make the choice to fulfill her destiny there is no agenda in her. She existed eternity, like on her time scale, that's eternity. And she's complete. She's, she's a, a whole universe. And at this moment, she has to completely cease to exist, you know? To let him in means that she will just explode in this flash it's like nuclear reaction it's explosion it's it's pure ecstasy it's she opens up and surrenders and takes him in and he has to cease to exist nothing that they knew so far you know he existed only for minutes or hours she existed for years and years but in that moment they're two equal parts he is activating her he is here. He is like a key to this holy tower that um, was dormant. You know that Cinderella story. That's that right. when she slept. Not not Cinderella. The, Sleeping. What's Beauty. the fairy tale? Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. That's about our conception. She was just there, dormant, completely 
unattached to the outcome. And here he comes and he activates her in a way that she could not do by herself. And she is the universe, but she needs to have that, that speck of consciousness in that particular time space in so, order to get the whole show on the road. So do you think there's some kind of knowing and relationship, like an energetic acknowledgement or recognition between the two on this ultra microcosmic level that they she selects, yeah. she feels something, the egg, and lets in that particular sperm? Uh, there is really no any other way to, to, to think about it because... Well, with our human minds, um, we can't really comprehend the way our bodies function. There is at any given split second, there is trillions of operations happening. And we can just, you know, pretend that we know something. But what's happening there is so much more complex and, and uh, it's outside of our comprehension, really. We just we can bow and surrender to the mystery and just pat ourselves on the you know, on the back because every one of us is a huge success story you know we made it through this uh improbability every human being walking this earth right now is one in about 400,000 trillion something like this incomprehensible amount of zeros under that four uh and we did it because not only he found her and she decided to take him up on his offer then she had to go on this odyssey on this journey find the uterus attach herself successfully because a lot of pregnancies end up before a woman even knows mm. that she was pregnant because okay i got there i attached but oops didn't work so um and then the body starts forming and that's like oh my god every next wave of the cell division is that absolutely ecstatic um the frequency of that experience is again beyond of anything we can it's the ultimate high so this is our home frequency we are made in pure ecstasy because that's what calls forth a cell division the that fluctuation in the uh, range of frequencies where it's just pure bliss and yeah I was gonna say what do you wish that people knew about conception that they generally don't know well that yeah that it's magic that it's mystery that it's something to be deeply grateful and respectful respectful of it's really, really um, greatly overlooked. And we're paying for it because if we knew how magical each one of us is, 
we wouldn't be treating each other the way we're treating each other out there in the world. So let's back up and could you share with us your a synopsis of your history and your journey? Like how did you become interested in the realm of natural birth and to you know to get to the place to me of stripping away so much of the conditioning and programming that people are you know given to get to you know being in the black sea in a community away from all civilization and women birthing their babies in the water there that's a a, a long story because it didn't happen just like that it, mm. uh, when i stumbled upon the subject of uh, birthing that was the last thing on my mind because I was a successful uh, actor. I was, that's my um, official education, theater acting. And I thought that theater would be my uh, lifelong occupation. But I was married to a wonderful, amazing man who um, was a leader of this very interesting brainstorming technology organization. Uh, they were called games. I actually have an article about it on my website. It's called Russian games. Uh, I wrote about it. Um, but with his ability to like take an issue and he had a whole team of people, they were working together and they could like figure out how to, how to do something, how to uh, like create something how to help organization to come from being on the edge of bankruptcy into the space of success and um, somebody asked me to bring this uh, water birth pioneer Igor Cherkovsky who was uh, going around with this idea of water birth since 1962 and um, the way he was going about it wasn't getting him any attention. And the person who uh, asked me to help him had my uh, ultimate respect. So I agreed to listen to him and see what we can do for him just out of respect to this person. I um, met with him thinking that it would be something for like a short 20 minute uh, conversation. I ended up listening to him for four hours and then I brought him home and said, well, this is really, really, really important that we put some energy and attention to this because everything we're trying to do is, um, is just like putting band-aids on a full body catastrophe, like uh, burn. We need right. to really, um, I got it. In four hours, he really downloaded to me the whole concept of pre and perinatal psychology, that the way we make people is um, keeping us in the same uh, level of misery that we've been for thousands of years. He really uh, showed me the connection between the way we're born and the way we function, the way we live, the way we love or are unable to love mm -hmm. and it was basically he was talking about things that are most important in our life 
you know, whether business will succeed or not, that's, you know, good thing. But whether we're able to love or not, that seemed to be rooted into much, much deeper layers than I've ever looked at. And at the end of um, our discussion and connection, I just dropped everything and put all my time, attention, energy into creating this this uh, school of conscious parenting that's what it was called in um, 1982 in moscow um, and the way we spilled out from moscow into the black sea was um, that when those pregnant women that started to come to our classes you know at some point we had classes going it was women who gave birth in the water in their bathtub in the bathrooms were um, were just eager to help other women to have that experience. But to prepare for that, there was certain things that um, needed to happen during pregnancy. And one of the main things was neutralizing birth trauma, not only from a pregnant woman, but from her partner and from everybody who is going to be present at birth and involved in this baby's life. Because uh, the more we, um, we experienced of how things work in this realm, the, 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 the more the picture began. It's not just about birth. It's about pregnancy. Then it was, oh, it's about conception. Oh, it's about how you actually meet your partner because turns out that our limbic attractor is the mechanism that attracts us to certain people and repels us from other people is actually rooted in our limbic brain in our limbic imprint that we receive from conception through the first few years of uh, life isn't it amazing that that now you think oh i like this guy i don't like this guy it turns out that the roots of this likes and dislikes are right there so in your limbic imprint so meaning that the conditions of conception the conditions of pregnancy then what happens during the birth are all creating the limbic imprint of the child and that that then goes on to be a you know uh, receiver transmitter attractor decision maker on an unconscious level of who we then also choose to reproduce with or our partners in sexuality exactly yeah Exactly. And it turns out that one of the main ingredients in this dance of energies are the relationship of the parents with each other. Turns out that the fetus inside mama is responding to all the fluctuations of her. um, Well, there is chemical equivalent, you know, how much dopamines, how much serotonin, how much adrenaline she is her brain is producing depending on whether she is in conflict right with the father of the child whether she is in conflict within herself about this pregnancy whether she wants this pregnancy or not mm-hmm. and that will be reflected on the quality of their communication and the baby absorbs all of those 
messages, chemical messages, and not only absorbs them, but automatically registers them and memorizes them. Not cognitively, not mm -hmm. with the cortex, like our, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the way you remember somebody's phone number, it, it, because cortex is not there yet, not for a few years, fully functional for cortex, right? But uh, it's the limbic memory, it's cellular memory, it's chemical memory. And from what I understand at this point, that this limbic imprinting is happening due to the, the property of water to maintain memory. Hmm. I'm right. sure you heard of that, that yes. uh, water is able to keep memory. Right? Yes. And that has something to do with the way the, not just the one molecule of water has that ability, but um, the number of molecules of water um, form a structure depending on the frequency of the experience. So, in other words, the environment dictates what structure um, those molecules of water will assume. And that structure remains in the body and babies are like 99% water there is not much right. less that's yeah. why it's so like that's why it's called imprint is just really settles in the body on this molecular level that's why it's so hard to talk yourself out of like if you're imprinted for liking a certain type of a man say if the father was abusive to the mother Right. So the baby girl inside the mother is absorbing that chemistry of being abused as comfort zone, as the way Familiar. to survive. Yeah. That's where it, it uh, roots because uh, limbic imprint is nature's merciful mechanism of allowing the species to thrive and survive because you know, mama bear cannot send her cub to school, right? The cub is learning to be a bear by just being in the field and right. absorbing the, the, the information that is happening around. So that mechanism of learning like crazy, they have an incredible learning capacity, the, all, all the small creatures, because their survival depends on it. They're their, um, you know, whether they will be able to procreate depends on mm. this. So it's, it's nature at work at, at its finest. So this imprinting, it's not like here to set us up to, for failure. It's here to help us to thrive and survive because the nature was not expecting domestic violence and, and right. uh, you know, wars and famine right. and, and, um, that um, we would start killing each other, you know, and, and hurting each other. That's, it's very rarely that the species turns against their own. Right. It's just humans are very special that way. And uh, so this is designed for us to actually learn to be and become. And that's why it's so strong. So if, 
if it's a natural flow of things and we're born into love, then we learn to love that way. If a woman is born well, she knows everything about giving birth by being born because um, that's how things work. It's, it's already imprinted. Her body knows how to give birth. But if she was not born well, then her body might be in this uh, like high, highly radioactive, multi-dimensional background radiation all her life, and she would not even know that until it comes to getting pregnant. So from her own birth, on the cellular memory, she might be carrying the memory that birth is terrifying, horrible, like near-death experience that mm. we don't know how to do it, especially if there was drug, uh, some kind of numbing agent that um, uh, knocked out and disoriented and, and completely turned off all the sensory apparatus and, and participation in the process. That's what's mm. very important that a woman giving birth is fully present and participatory because then uh, her zest for life is activated to its absolute maximum and that is the chemistry that activates that zest for life a very very important ingredient in a human being that enthusiasm to be in the body the the desire to to you know live explore be creative be sexual be everything it's like um we can go through life on autopilot or we can actually be fully engaged and loving it that's the difference but mm -hmm. medical um uh, profession doesn't really recognize the difference they think if the baby didn't die that's a success but if the baby didn't die but was never activated in this raw primal sense then you know there will be failure to thrive in one form or the other right like what you're talking about then becomes the imprinting of dissociation right, right. of not being connected of feeling unease in one's body and that can be then an imprint that and i would say judging by the look of our culture the amount of sort of addiction you know habits that people have that are very dissociative like that's most people and we know that in mm. our modern culture most people are born in traumatic circumstances whether they're legitimate or manufactured right in the industrial birth setting um that those that's the imprinting that most people have right now in the world exactly exactly that's why we we see so much uh atrocities and and just simply absence of common sense the way our civilization is is making those sharp crazy turns because um, when you are not present in your body you're not able to make sound decisions and discern right from wrong and that is actually upgraded to status of norm right now yeah. i saw with my own very eyes the uh, or textbook on psychology from uh, medical school that says that women uh, that uh, women are not able to give birth naturally period that um, humans are not equipped with ability to discern right from wrong that they need to be told 
these are all in writings all those things like that the umbilical cord at birth needs to be um, clamped immediately immediately which is a capital crime against humankind because up to two-thirds of baby's blood is still in the placenta but oh, don't get me started on this one <laughs> that's <laughs> right that's so a very delayed cord clamping is a more natural way or you know whatever it's unnatural because to clamp you it. know where do you see that a a cat or a deer or a tiger would clamp the umbilical mm. cord. It needs time to keep pushing the uh, the blood from placenta mm -hmm. into the baby's body. Uh, but if we clamp the cord, then the placenta is heavier and they're sold by the weight into oh, the cosmetics industry. Yeah, but uh, the problem is not about you know, somebody making money on that baby's blood. The problem is that the baby's lungs are not ready for that first breath. So it's a major, major assault on the baby's system because, the, you know, the, the amniotic fluids are inside. They need to drain the lungs that were squished uh, during mm. um, delivery through yeah. the really narrow birth canal, yeah. they need to, you know, relax, open up. Everything needs to um, to unfold and gently, slowly. You know, yeah. it's like everything is brand new. All the nerve endings are still brand new, and they're very, very sensitive. Um, some research says up to 150 times more sensitive than we are because we are already quite hammered by the sensory uh, yeah. overload left and right. But the baby is brand new and uh, everything hurts at that moment. The sounds, the, the lights, the, the touch, the, the rough surfaces, the, mm. the everything. But if you're forced to take a breath with lungs that are not ready for it, it's um, a, a real, very big trauma. Right. for the body for the brand new body so let's wind back to moscow so you were learning these things and having these classes and you it sounds like as part of your training or educating with people is helping them to clear their limbic imprinting so how did that then transition you from being in the center of moscow to out in the wilderness well um you know, we didn't really know. Uh, everything was uh, a discovery. There was nobody to ask questions. You know, there was no internet. There was no body of research that is available right now through the field of prenatal psychology. There was nothing in, in the eighties in Moscow. It it was basically just. Uh, learning from every couple that was uh, mm. crazy enough and brave enough to right. come in and step into this like unknown uncharted territory and um, everything was um, had to be found first what works what needs to work you know in what area how what works for some people and and doesn't work for others what work for the most of people so it, it, it was very um, a tedious process of discovery uh, 
part of which was learning to meditate. And that was a really big thing, like revolutionary, because in the 80s in Soviet Moscow, you know, the word meditate was not even heard of or known. Uh, and learning to meditate was, again, there was no teachers. There was just a concept that something needs to happen, that we need to, like, shift our um, ordinary state of mind, of being, into some kind of heightened state of awareness. What it is, we don't know. How it is, we don't know. It just Let's just sit down and, you know, close your eyes and figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> so, but, you know, when you really have a clear intention, answers come. And they were coming by dozens and hundreds. And there was a lot of answers that were received in those deep states of meditations. And one of them that was um, reported by basically every single pregnant woman that was coming into the, 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 the circle that if they go into this deeply meditative state, they were seeing dolphins. Just they were seeing their babies, their fetuses, surrounded by dolphins, playing with dolphins, that the, the fetus was a dolphin. There was this, a lot of information coming about dolphins. And you got to understand that if you live in California or in Fiji, dolphins are kind of part of, you know, nice. your environment. Not so much in Moscow in the dead of winter. <laughs> we didn't know anything about dolphins, you know, but as far as we were concerned, that was just another type of fish. Yeah. And there was this, you know, dolphins, dolphins, dolphins. And at some point, uh, the, the cumulative number of those uh, uh, accounts at some point uh, added up to this uh, spoken, Igor said, Igor Cherkovsky, he said, well, let's go to where dolphins are. Let's try to actually connect with them and see what happens. So we started looking where dolphins are and found a dolphinarium uh, on the Black Sea, but we were not allowed there. And we kind of danced around it and danced around it, but we were not allowed there, especially to give birth in there. It's like, <laughs> you know, okay, there's a mental institution to the right, you know. <laughs> but uh, at some point, Igor said, you know what, let's just go to the Black Sea and, and uh, camp somewhere on the beach and um, meditate and ask dolphins to connect. And that's exactly what we did and what happened. And the first year they did not respond at all. Um, and, um, you know, dolphins, I totally understand them too. They didn't think much of people because the only people they knew were fisheries, you know, those, nice. um, the boats that were actually killing dolphins because they didn't want them in their nets. They, right. they were like weeds. On the second, actually halfway through the second year, I was there four months, basically from mid-May to mid-September at, um, at the camp in Black Sea. 
uh, and about halfway through, they con connected with pregnant women only. Not with us, I was never pregnant at the camp. I was one of the organizers, but um, they went into very beautiful, harmonious connection with pregnant women. And then they started um, coming when the labor would start. Somebody in the birth camp would um, go into labor and sure enough, they're coming and just staying as close as they can uh, you know, allow the the depths because we were in shallow lagoons, but um, they would come as close as they could, and they stayed and jumped and sung and played and just stayed there in like deep stillness. And we did not really have a way of articulate what was happening, but the anxiety that would come with the new, um, you know, water broke, you know, with the, with the new um, word that somebody else is going into labor, there would be this agitation in the camp and it's like, oh, you know, never know the outcome, but they would come and everything would just relax and calm down and it would be a palpable sensation, like almost kinesthetic physical sense of incredible support and rightness of what we're doing and just pure high. You know, if you look around, you see that there's uh, tears in their eyes, just pure happiness, tears of pure happiness, just felt amazing. There was no drugs, you know, to eliminate yeah. that <laughs> yeah. question. There was absolutely no drugs. Um, but it would be just this incredible experience of complete and utter coherence. And just this undeniable rightness of being. You know, you are in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and there is absolutely nothing that can go wrong. And and nothing ever went wrong. That's the thing. That's the most amazing thing that there was no plan B. There was absolutely no, um, no way out of there. And if something happens, like when I'm asked, what if something happened? But that's the thing. We actually didn't have medical education. We were not contaminated with pictures of pathology. So we, we were so naive. There was absolutely no like, concept that something can go wrong. I love that. And I love the reinforcement of, because I think that's such a major 
problem, you know, both the, the limbic imprinting as you speak of, but the conscious messaging that people get when we watch movies or television shows of a woman mm-hmm. in birth and she's screaming her lungs out and it's a major crisis and catastrophe and it's like the most pain she's ever had. And so those kinds of images are, yeah, they're, they're laid down in the psyche and, you know, get, can get reactivated in birth. But I love that, you know, being out in nature and even the energy of water, you know, there's a beautiful quote from you that I noted when talking about water birth, the woman herself becomes very water-like, resilient and fluid, and it melts down all of the frozen structures in her emotional landscape and her rivers flow effortlessly. And I think that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. way of talking about then, you know, even receiving that energy or teaching mm-hmm. from the water as perhaps was being taught by the dolphins, right? These influences yeah. instead from the natural world, reminding us of that flow. Yeah. I can see you watched my movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone ought to. It's one of the best birth movies ever made. The birth, as we know, the whole DVD is almost four hours long. I really squeezed a lot of information right. there, so highly recommend. And you guys were favorite. filming. You guys were filming at the Black Sea, so you have actual footage of these well, births. At some point, we had footage because okay. we didn't have a camera, and nobody we knew had a camera. It's like um, camera was something uh, a night article of. Uh, unknown level of luxury but at some point uh, much later in the year I think by like 87 uh, one of the German midwives or maybe American I, I don't remember there was a lot of foreign midwives coming to the Black Sea to study with us and um, one of them uh, realized that we don't have a camera and she just took all the tapes that she made there Mm-hmm. and left the camera behind bless her heart that i don't even remember who that was but um thanks to her we have all the footage that we have yeah but um that's not much basically in birth as we know it i used uh, i i have 11 births and that's basically mm-hmm. it because right. most of the births would come at night and right. we didn't have sufficient lighting for it or women didn't want to be filmed, which is very understandable. The majority of women did not want to um, have a camera there and the camera person. Um, so the fact that we have those few births from the mm. Black Sea, it's like, oh, bless the heart. I'm yeah. incredibly grateful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've talked about, and I agree with this, that birth is really the ultimate high if it's allowed to be. And so how does opening ourselves as sexual beings or even just allowing the birth process to happen help to facilitate a pleasurable birth? Well, um, it it doesn't start at birth. There is... Not much you can do when when you already go into labor. All the work needs to happen prior to ideal conception or at least during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, why I'm saying prior to conception is because ideally um, a woman and her partner, the father of the baby, 
which ideally is the same person, um, have already established a very healthy, strong sexual connection, uh, that they're literate in their sexual body language, in their understanding how, how the, the sexual energy works. And they acquired some degree of mastery of, of, of navigating this enormous power their sexuality. Sexuality is an enormous power. And unfortunately, we lack education, you know, it's not in mass, it's just few people that break through the social taboos and educational taboos Mm -hmm. and go into that place of mastery of navigating their sexual energy. So ideally, the partners are Uh, very familiar which will actually help them sustain their deep connection and intimacy throughout the postpartum period yeah look I mean I think that when you know when I speak and I work with couples and there's this myth I would say out there that's quite common for people where they just assume that or they've received a lot of examples of couples after a a baby is born who grow apart, right? There's no sex, there's no intimacy, they grow apart. And I say, well, you know, if a couple is really close and intimate and strongly sexually connected prior to a birth, that doesn't happen. But that's very rare. Like you kind of said, the sexual Olympics or the birth Olympics is that, you know, for when people have that connection, that's what they actually need as the glue to get them through pregnancy and then to have this transformative, transcendent birth and then in postpartum. And yet, you know, for the average couple, they're not that sexually connected. And so they get all kinds of things that come up for them, like even Madonna whore, you know, triggers, right? As soon as the woman gets pregnant, she has to deal with all that. And then you've got probably, you know, if she hasn't dealt with her birth trauma or she's had birth trauma, she'll be activated. He could be activated in pregnancy. Then they'll go through a typical birth experience, which is going to normally be some kind of violence or a violation or crisis. And so then they've got that to deal with. And so then they come out of, and I really believe that that's what postpartum depression is. It's more like PTSD than some kind of natural outflow of the birth experience you know this is manufactured from all of this accumulated stuff that hasn't been really dealt with right and people go through unconsciously these experiences and so but on the contrary when people have done this kind of resolution both within their relationship they've activated as you say or catalyzed the sexual component of their relationship so this becomes their sanctuary this becomes their superpower and then they've done the work around clearing birth energy or prior birth experiences in themselves then i believe they have that potential to move forward into these initiating and really self-actualizing experiences, truly rebirthing themselves, you know, in a very powerful and positive way, except that's not what most people have. And this goes, you know, back to our original definition of what is conscious birth, right? And it goes, it's the whole process of conscious conception, conscious pregnancy, conscious birth, and then all of that you know, work really in preparation goes into then, you know, birthing um, 
the whole, the, everything that follows then, you know, becomes a product of that work. And this is probably the most undervalued, unacknowledged work that humans don't do, you know, in the entire world for our species. Right. And there is also um, two more things to add to that mix, that it's not only birth trauma that gets activated, it's sexual trauma that gets activated by pregnancy and birth. Right. Because uh, the, we have uh, unforgivably high statistics of rapes. And um, it's very difficult if a woman never had a chance to really process it and neutralize the trauma from uh, rape it's going to raise its ugly head uh, at birth. And it's really, really important to um, find a way to dealing with uh, uh, rape trauma and um, heal the, the physical tissue, the emotional um, impact from that experience. It's very difficult to come through with, with flying colors, but it's really necessary if we're talking of the um, big picture what is conscious birth that we need to really come uh, come to terms with our past and leave it in the past yeah. for the sake of our future really it's important but also I wanted to add that it's not only difficult births that leave a woman in the severe postpartum um, depression it can even happen if the birth was good but the connection with the partner gets altered at birth depending on his ability to show up to be present see if a woman is doing all her work but the guy thinks that Oh, you know, I can handle it. Nothing is going to, you know, phase me. But it happened a few times. I, I also thought that uh, severe depression is only uh, affecting after difficult births. Mm -hmm. um, but what happens is that if a woman is doing her part, but the guy is kind of winging it, their relationship it means that there was something between them in in that space between them where she was not really feeling met because there would be an amazing activation of her as life-giving creator you know she she would become everything that she was born to be she, the the giving birth empowered way mm -hmm. activates a woman that she had no concept of you know everything that she was before she will have like the whole other di dimension opening for her and in their relationship the guy will be expecting her to become to go back to where she was right <laughs> and she can't she doesn't want to with the activation of her full goddess self, he is finding himself in a very complicated place because he is used to a young maiden that 
was maybe lacking some confidence or maybe you know was not very clear of who she is and and what she is to do in life and giving birth connects all the dots for her and all of a sudden he is meeting this full-grown queen in his kitchen and their dynamic needs to change it needs to shift it needs to um you know accommodate everything she has become and a man again doesn't have that many um tools or role models uh or uh, intelligent um guides to help him meet his woman in her new place in life so that is something that is very important to bring to our attention for couples that are really thinking and planning on conscious birth there is as i said so many moving pieces in that in that because then if you have a beautiful birth then you don't want to have this baby exposed to your yelling at each other and, and divorcing and and connecting disconnecting and leaving the, that baby beautifully born needs the stability and reliability of an emotional presence of both parents that's what conscious birth is well, what can the fathers do? Because I think that for for women, as they're pregnant, they're naturally being catalyzed, right? Like you'd almost have to fight against growth to not be transformed yeah. through pregnancy, you know, or you'd have to have a lot of blockages and maybe they do, right? Like around, say, Madonna whore or sexual trauma, all of these things, and then not deal with them to really squelch that process of evolution that's naturally propelling her forward, right? As she's building a new life within her body, she'd have to really try hard to suppress yeah. that, that, you know, that that's energy right. that's pushing her towards growth and evolution. And then for the man, it reminds me of your original analogy of like the cells coming together and cell division, right? Like all this stuff happening, it, you know, what can he be doing then? I mean, I, you know, we've talked about his, her, his own birth trauma potentially getting activated, um, circumcision trauma it would be another trauma that he would sustain but you know what was what would his work be then while he's along the journey of pregnancy with her so that he can meet her and keep pace with her as she does metamorphose you know into this beautiful new goddess being and that she walks out of that experience with a king rather than a young prince who was maybe sidelined or felt impotent during the birth experience, which I think, again, in most hospital settings, the father would be, right? He would be shoved aside right. for, oh, there, there, you just sit in the corner and shut your mouth and we'll get, we'll deal with this. So what do you suggest for men to help really ensure that they emerge as well as a, as a transformed king? Uh, first of all, um, educate himself, just really learn about the postpartum period, about what, like, there is a lot of information online, uh, get involved with um, some men's group, some support group of young fathers, where they can just have some man time and share and talk and uh, help each other. It's really, really important to have some kind of support groups, some circle 
other than just you know watching football together and yelling at the tv mm. or having the guy beer time it's really important to bring it into like try to brainstorm together and connect the dots like this is what i'm dealing this is what i found i can do and this is what i read this book the this you guys have to read this book because it explains a lot and there is a lot of information and um it, it's important to know that they're not the first one not the only one that every single first time father is in this situation because he has to invent the bicycle how to be with the woman who doesn't know who she is yet that's one of the biggest pieces is that a woman after giving birth she goes through a complete identity crisis like everything she was is no more and she is now in that uncharted territory she has to assemble herself piece by piece all together she she has to like make a lot of decisions on who she is how she is what is happening with her in her life with this man it, it's uh, basically just um everything is brand new because mm. it's not only the baby was born it's the mother was born it's kind of a cliche right. but that's true and uh, the man needs to, first of all, comprehend that it's not going to be going back to how it was. He has an opportunity to really experience something so profound, so big, so important for him, becoming a father and activate his, his uh, spirit's purpose for embodiment mm -hmm. to, to really like step up the game and get to know you know his place in this world it, it's it's a very big topic what he can do mm -hmm. but in in like in my terms uh in my trainings first of all he needs to neutralize his own birth trauma he needs to clear his relationship with his parents because the the lingering that background radiation of conflicts with his parents is going to come into his relationship with uh, the the woman and the baby yeah. and his work the, it's going to now really play a number so he needs to clear his um, childhood always you know <laughs> everything that comes up are surfacing and trying to leave the the bottom floor of the marshes and he needs to really help it up and clear the the waters of, of his um his the the way he runs his energy and um his relationship with like all the childhood relationship actually it's not just with parents it could be grandparents it could be guardians that raised him it could be siblings sometimes it's older siblings that um, have caused more trauma than actual parents mm. sometimes it's uh, the best friend that betrayed in first grade or uh, you know some kind of um, first grade love uh, of my life 
that um, betrayed me all of a sudden it's activated to the point that it's like blinding him and it's so present that he can't see through that and he starts acting out that hurt from that time so what what needs to happen is bringing bringing all those bubbles one Mm -hmm. by one into his awareness and really neutralizing its impact on his nervous system and the means that he finds for it um you know whatever he can get help with because there is a lot that a person can do by themselves but there comes a point when you just need to be held there comes the point when the actual healing comes when you find somebody who is able to hold you the way you needed to be held back then Mm. that is what seals the deal you know everything else could be just mental construction and and kind of um you know trying to talk your way out of it but the the trauma happened before the ability to like articulate Mm -hmm. uh came into place so in order to address those primal wounds there has to be this kinesthetic experience of being in a place of trust surrender warmth being touched held loved just have the actual alternative experience you know just put that new experience into that place where the hurt happened in the first place right so yeah so let's wrap up with the most positive (laughs) vision of the birth experience that you can imagine like i think i think we've touched on it a little bit in here but you know, the concept that most people like we've, you know, are programmed to see birth as pain and discomfort rather than pleasure, right? And so what can we leave people with as the inspiration of what's really possible? Like the most ultimate, you know, as birth is the greatest source of ecstasy or spiritual awakening or bliss, like how would you frame that for people well uh suffering in birth is just a bad habit (laughs) and the the main thing is recognizing that actually our hormonal uh, supplement is there to release the absolutely obscene amounts of oxytocin when the birth comes in that's exactly what our nature is supposed to be doing that's why we're talking about bliss orgasmic ecstasy during birth because there is absolutely no drug that can uh, enable that amount of oxytocin in the bloodstream it's like it's the the ultimate high that's what allows a woman to just you know open up to that degree um that's what nature is supposed to do the only reason why the other thing happens it's again there is the same chemistry lab in the brain 
and it cannot produce oxytocin if it's already producing adrenaline and all the stress hormones. So if the lab is occupied pumping um, stress chemistry, you can't switch it. You have to start training your brain. Basically, homework is pleasure. To start training the body to produce vast amounts of oxytocin because if there was life of no pleasure prior to birth, the body simply does not produce enough oxytocin. It's just kind of like with every muscle, use it or lose it. It's like if you don't exercise your biceps or triceps, they atrophy, they become weak and kind of not very useful. So it's the same with pumping oxytocin. You, know, you have to train that muscle. You, you, you have to figure out every single way you can know pleasure. Because you probably know every cell of the skin has a pleasure receptacle. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, of course. So we have to find every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the birth preparation. <laughs> I love it. So the birth preparation is to experience as much pleasure as you can. Have as many orgasms, generate as much oxytocin and ecstasy as a way of rewiring our systems. Right. But yeah. not necessarily in receiving pleasure, but in just in turn, receiving pleasure, don't get me wrong, yeah, bring it on. But the removing the internal taboo on mm. pleasure, yeah, that's sure. uh, a very big piece because we can get as many massages as we want, but if we internally are not giving ourselves permission to enjoy having the body, it's gonna just be, you know, Okay, it's yeah. on the skin, it's great, but in order to start really increasing that flow of oxytocin, we need to just destroy all the dams and taboos that we allowed ourselves to adopt due to some somebody else's ideas of what's good, what's not good. So um, it, it's basically... Um, a revolution it's internal revolution to shed off all those notions that are not even ours it's like you know what i think it's so 80s i'm just gonna lose it you know yeah. it's out of style yeah pleasure <laughs> <laughs> pleasures the new pleasures in new. pleasures the new black <laughs> <laughs> new black yeah so it's um it's um yeah just really learning to love life your own body to to really like getting to know every which way the body can experience being loved and pleasured it's yeah, sky's the limit. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much, Elena. You just have so much wonderful information and inspiration to share with the world. And I'm so grateful for your contributions to humankind. 
Thank you for this opportunity to be heard. I appreciate every one of them. Thank you. Excellent. All right. <laughs> Bye. How inspiring was that? To know that you have the power. You always have. The Sexy Mama Salon is open for registration today. This eight-week online salon I have created is a step-by-step guide in how to deprogram yourself and learn instead to tune into all of your natural wisdom and to cultivate your sexual power and pleasure as the ultimate birthing tool. Blocks that show up in your bed will show up in your birth, meaning if you have sexual blocks with yourself and between you and your partner, they will have an impact on your birthing experience, just like they have an impact on your ability to orgasm, on your libido, and the quality of your relationship. Yes, they will also have an impact on the biggest orgasm of your life childbirth. The Sexy Mama Salon dives deep into everything you need to know to have a healthy and blissful pregnancy and birth, as well as how to heal and fortify your sexual relationship with yourself and your partner to create the most optimal and ecstatic birth experience. You can sign up for the salon at kimanami.com under Sexual Savant Salons and then look for Sexy Mama. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms.